Hello, and you're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim on this beautiful, sunny Tuesday, February 18th, four days after Valentine's Day. So if you're listening on another day, that means this has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm your host, Greg McKim. And on this show, we talk about just about anything that has to do with home ownership. Brief interlude here, or interjection, or insert. What would it be? All of the above? This is my last show. I started January 1st of 2019, right, Eric? That's correct. New Year's Day I came in here. I was so excited. You did, yeah. And I still love doing the show. But for various reasons, I am going to discontinue the show after today. It may come back in some other form or fashion down the road. I love doing radio. I love sharing information with my audience. And I just need to step back for a second and think about how I want to keep going forward. So if you have been listening, I appreciate it. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to learn more about the show, you can find me on any podcast service at Home Talk with Greg McKim. So... Just a little bit of background on what the show involves, and you'll find on the podcast, well, as I mentioned as I opened, it's about owning a home, buying or selling a home, refinancing, remodeling, buying a, a building a home from scratch, condos, townhomes, single-family homes, investment properties, flipping homes, just about anything you can think of that has to do with a home. And I have the experience to talk about it, having been involved in the industry in some fashion since the late 70s, starting out as a laborer, carpenter, which means I I poured concrete, cut boards, swung a hammer. And I owned a mortgage company at one point in the 2000s, 2000 through 2010 to be exact. I am currently a licensed real estate broker with Rockwell Realty and Vice President of Mortgage Lending at Legacy Group Capital here in Bellevue. My loan originator license is 106202, and the Legacy Group Capital license is 99045. Now, you remember Eric. Eric, say hello to the audience. Hello, everybody. Eric's my producer. He's fantastic. He knows radio inside and out, and he's the one that picked that catchy little what do you call that? The theme song. The theme song. Okay. Yes. <laughs> isn't there some? Isn't there some technical radio term like bumper or something like that? Bumper. Yeah. When we go to breaks, that's the bumper that, music. Oh, I like it. At so, the top of the show, it's the theme the music. Theme song. Yeah. yeah. I I like that. It, I, it makes my head bob up and down. Yeah. It's very catchy. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna miss hearing that every week, actually. <laughs> but you remember when I started the show, I had a goal, which is to share information with the general public that they don't find very many other places, if any. That's true. And I think I've done a pretty good job of that. But uh, just to mentioned earlier, I'm going to step back, re- reformat, and think about if I want to continue or do something else with radio, which we'll talk about later on the show. So today is going to be a wrap-up. I did the same thing last week. I wrapped up and went through a list of shows that I've done in the past, briefly touched on some of those. I'm going to do a little bit more of that today without covering too much of the same ground. But before I get started, I like to do this every show, just give you a, a little snapshot of what's going on with interest rates. And since last week, they're on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, they're virtually unchanged, but they have dropped roughly 1% since roughly this time last year. So right now, if you wanted to get a home and you had the right credit scores and the, the certain amount of down payment, these things all depend, they, they, they have an effect on your rate. 
you could get a rate in the range of 3.125 with an APR of 3.125. What's that mean? Well, APR is a calculation that accounts for certain upfront costs as if they were part of the overall rate for the term of the loan. So right now, if you had 20% down, you had a credit score of about 740 or above, you're not taking cash out of your house, 3.125, APR 3.125, you wouldn't have to pay any closing costs for that rate, Eric. So that's pretty darn good. Yeah. About as low as I've ever seen it, and I've been doing this for 28, 29 years or something like that. I, I lose track sometimes. need to get my calculator out. Sounds like a great time to- uh, Buy or refinance. Bu- exactly, yeah. It's pretty hard to beat that rate. That's a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And that's going to be about the same anywhere you go, a little bit higher, a little bit lower, depending upon the lender. Mm-hmm. And of course, it changes day to day. So there's your little rate, your rate market or your rate snapshot for the day. And so what am I going to talk about today? I mentioned earlier that I'm going to review some of the things I've discussed in the past, a little bit more detail, and then I'm going to discuss what I might be doing down the road with the radio show. So where'd my sheet go? All the things I've done in the past. I had it out here a minute ago. Uh, Flippity, flip, flip, flip. Okay, so if you go to the you, you find me in podcasts, you will find most of my shows um, starting. You, you'll find all the shows there. I'm kind of fumbling here because I'm trying to catch my breath to what I want to talk about. I don't want to repeat everything I did last week. Oh, by the way, while the show's on, you can call in with comments, questions, or if you just want to talk, 425-373-5527. That's 425-373-5527. You can reach me off air on my cell at 206-250-6545. Again, and I'm Greg McKim, MC, capital K-I-M. When I was a kid, that was a big deal to me. It's a capital. Make sure you you put that in caps. So my cell is 206-250-6545. And my email at Legacy Group Capital is Greg M at LegacyG.com. So that's G-R-E-G-M at L-E-G-A-C-Y-G.com. Hope to hear from you. Any questions you have? As I mentioned before on the air, other times, if you are in the middle of buying a house, selling a house, refinancing, financing a home, and you're working with somebody else, but you have a question they just don't seem to be addressing, call me. I won't try to take you away from that person, but I'd be more than happy to help you out. And I find it especially helpful when people are shopping for home loans to have another person's opinion because it's easy to get lost as lenders present the information in ways that sometimes a little overwhelming and confusing. Eric, do you recall when you have obtained home loans? You've had two or three in your life. Yes. You find sometimes the way that they present the information is a little bit confusing? Yes. Mm. <laughs> so it's not just me that thinks that. No, it's definitely not just you. Yeah. To be to be fair, there's a lot of information to digest. So yeah. You know, anytime there's a lot of information, it, it can get confusing pretty easily. It can. The thing is, is that it, 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 it can be broken down in a way that almost anybody understands it. Mm-hmm. It's just most originators and banks don't take the time to do it. Now, I'm not throwing them all under the bus because some do, but my, this is my own personal experience that most don't do it. And talking to thousands of consumers over the years, very few of them feel like they were somebody took the time and energy to explain it properly, which is just the nature of the business. Don't know why. Well, I have some ideas, but I'm not going to 
I won't go off into those. So um, let's just talk a little bit about shopping for a home loan because that's something that I, I've spent a lot of time over the years helping consumers with. And it's, I cover it in a couple of my shows. Say the show on January 8th of 2019, I have a, it's titled the podcast, How to Shop for a Home Loan. And then I have another one on May 7th of 19 called Home Loan Closing Costs. It breaks down all the little nitty gritties. You know, what's, what's a tax service fee? Why am I paying it? What's a title? What am I paying for a title report for? Let's see. I have another one on June 11th called the loan buying process. And quite frankly, I don't remember how that's different than some of the other ones, but I, I, I must have found something to talk about. So you'll find different shows in the podcast. And, um, one of the things I'm going to do today is just briefly talk about the difference between going to a mortgage broker and going to a bank. I cover that in some of the other shows, but it, it warrants another discussion. So when you borrow money, who are you actually borrowing it from? Eric, you should, you should know this answer by now because you've listened to me enough times. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Where does the money come from most, yeah. most of the time? Well, it, it doesn't it, it come from the bank or uh, of course you've got your Fannie Mae and your there you go. Uh, your Freddie Mac so yeah. most of the time the loans are kind of not sponsored but they you know they back them up right here's one way to think about yeah. it okay now this is for the majority of home loans there are exceptions to this but the loans that have the most competitive rates and fees generally come from Fannie Mae Freddie Mac mm-hmm. I almost said exclusively but there always could be something I never heard of in my life sure but I would say almost exclusively come from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Think of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac as Chevrolet and Ford. They are the ones that put together the car or the loan. Okay? Everybody else is a distributor. Every bank is a distributor for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans. Now, you generally don't see a Chevrolet and Ford dealer combined. You might see a Chevrolet and a Mazda. You might see a Ford and a you know, a Subaru, but you usually don't see, I, I don't recall, see, but just think of it, let's pretend there's no such thing as Subaru or Mazda. That's just Ford and Chevy. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they'll distribute their loan products, though, through the same distributor. So in this case, you got somebody that has Chevy and Ford. And by the way, the differences between Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are so nuanced, Eric, that it's almost, from a consumer standpoint, it's not even worth talking about. In my side of it, it is. Because I can do certain things through Fannie and Freddie that you that I just know where to fit for you, but the cost of the loan is going to be almost almost every time identical. By the way, they're competing entities. Without going way back in the history, I'll just briefly touch on it. And I I talk about this on one of my other shows. So before the advent of Fannie Mae back in the 1930s, here's how you borrowed a loan: I borrowed, I borrowed money from a bank. The bank had a million dollars sitting in the sitting in their accounts. Just pretend, right? Make it up. And they would lend you that money. That money actually came from other people in your community. Just like It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Right. Okay. So Good old savings and loan. You got it. Exactly. Very well done. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, the money's sitting there and they're paying their, the people on their, on their savings account. Let's just pretend they're paying them 3%. Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and loan it to somebody else for a home loan, for instance, or we could do it a business loan, but let's just say home loan, at 5%. And so the bank made the difference on the 2% spread, right? There were, that was, that was okay. That's how most lending had been done since the beginning of time. Well, 
since the advent of banks, let's say. There were problems with that, though. The bank only had a million bucks. The bank had to be very careful because if they lost that million dollars, they couldn't pay their depositors. When the depositor said, I want to take money out of the bank, we don't have it. Right. So the banks had to be extremely stringent about who they would lend money to, so stringent that the average person couldn't get a home loan. So people would build homes, you know, by a rent. They build homes out of their own pocket. And so back in the 30s, the government recognized that it would be a good idea to offer a, a system to enable more people to own homes because they felt that would be good for the economy and for the public at large, which is true. Homeownership yeah. fosters all kinds of other economic benefits. You know, people own homes and they, then they, you know, then they... They buy furniture, and they, they, they have remodelers come in. They have plumbers come in. You have, the housing market is, is a gigantic component of our economy. Yeah, right? a big driver of it. For and sure. people feel good about their lives, and they feel like they're participating in the American dream by owning a home. So what they did was they put together this organization, if you will, uh, chartered by the government, not owned by the government. It was a third-party, independent entity called Fannie Mae. I knew once why they came up with that name, but I don't remember it. F-A-N-N-I-E-M-A-E, Fannie Mae. So, and the, the acronym is F-N-M-A, which is the actual acronym for the actual federal net something, okay? Fannie Mae is, is, is a kind of a made-up word, right? So it's not... So anyway, back, back, backtrack. So what, what, what does it do? Well, by the way, this is unique. You, can't, you don't find this in other, any other country in the world. It doesn't exist in Canada. It doesn't exist anywhere. You mean to tell me they don't have the Federal National Mortgage Association? Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, see, I told you he's a fantastic producer. Say it again. The Federal uh, National Mortgage Association. There you go. Uh, so the Fannie Mae. No, they don't. In fact, you can't get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage in Canada the last time I looked. That may change, but the last time I looked, you can't get it. You have to get an adjustable-rate mortgage. The, the banks lend the money. They might have something that's similar to Fannie Mae, but I don't know what it is. Okay, so what's the idea? So let's just pretend right now that you had $10,000, or let's just pretend you had $100,000, Eric, that you want to invest someplace. You could invest it in anything, stocks, bonds, gold, antique mm-hmm. cars, paintings, you name it, right? Or you could buy a bond, and you could buy a government-backed bond. You could buy a corporate bond. And what a bond is really is the investor, you, with your $100,000, is lending somebody else money, and they give you back basically an IOU, which is a bond. It's like a note in a way where they owe you money at a certain period of time in the future above and beyond what you gave them, which is your return, right? So you buy a, a bond and down the road it gives you, you, you buy for 100000 and down the road you get 110000 back, okay? And then how much you get back is your yield that you made on the money, just like any other investment. You got that so far? Yeah. Okay. So what Fannie Mae is, is a gigantic marketplace for people to buy bonds that are secured with real estate. That's what it is. So the people who buy and sell the Fannie Mae bonds are the ones that actually now are funding the loans instead of the bank. So instead of the bank saying, okay, we've got a million dollars today, and we're going to lend it over the year and make 5% on it, right? 5% of a million is what? Uh, 5,000? Sounds about right. <laughs> Did I do all right? No, it's uh, my mistake. That's it's fifty thousand. Okay, so they make fifty thousand. Sounds 000. even closer. Yeah, it sounds closer. <laughs> so I don't. Don't bring my calculator. You think I'd know this? Yeah, because five percent of a hundred thousand is um, five thousand. Thank yep. you. Okay, thank you. 
Okay. So the bank has a million bucks. That's all they have to lend, right? And they have a risk there because if they lose that money, they, people come in to get their money and they, they don't have it. The people have their savings accounts there. So Fannie Mae per, per, ha, is this conduit between the bond investor and the bank. Why would the, why would the bank do it that way instead of just lending their money out? They can lend more because they can keep lending the same money over and over and over. So they lend the million and then they immediately sell the loan to Fannie Mae. They lend it again, they sell it to Fannie Mae. They lend it again, they sell it to Fannie Mae. Every time they do that, let's pretend they make, a, they make a fee. They're not making an interest rate, Eric. The bond investor makes the interest rate. Fannie Mae, again, is just a big clearinghouse for this. Okay, So the lender, every single time they do that, let's pretend they make 1%. Uh, actually, they're going to make about 2 Okay, So every time they do that, they make 20000 bucks, And they can do that over and 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 over again. Make a lot more money doing that than just... Doing one loan and making fifty thousand a year, right? Right. So the advantage to the bank is they can make more money, and they don't have as much risk, so they can lend. They can lend to more people. It benefited everybody. And then in 1978, the government came along and said, "Let's have a competitor to Fannie Mae," and they created Freddie Mac, who basically does the same things, but they do a few different things here and there. And you can buy stock in those companies too. Those are for-profit entities. Now there was an there was a understanding that if either of those organizations had problems, the government would step in and bail them out, which is exactly what happened in 2008. All right, and I won't get into all the details as to why that all happened. I will say this, though. It wasn't because the government forced them to lend to people that shouldn't have been had money lent to them. That's, that's a myth that's been created by people. It's mm -hmm. not true. That was a small, small percentage of what happened, but that wasn't the main reason. And if anybody wants to talk about that with me, I'll explain what really happened, but that's more than with this show. So what's the point of that? So as you're a consumer and you're going to get a loan, if you're going straight to a bank versus a mortgage broker, you're in most cases, you're getting the exact same money that came from the exact same source, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And the reason I bring this to your attention is that some people think if they use a mortgage broker that they could cut the mortgage, that they're a middleman that's going to cost them more money, which is a legitimate concern. Why would I, why would I go to you rather than go straight to the bank? Right? Okay, yeah, so I mean, it, it. Why would I? Why don't I just go straight to the bank? It sort of makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, the difference between a bank and a mortgage broker is that when you deal with a bank, you're dealing directly with the bank who's getting the money from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Mm -hmm. If you deal with a mortgage broker, you're dealing with someone who represents numerous banks who do the same thing. Right. So, as a mortgage broker, we work with about a dozen different what are called wholesale lenders. They they either don't or they have a very small retail presence. You can't, they don't have a bank branch even. You can't even walk in and get the loans from them. They don't do it. They do mortgage loans only. And because they're, they offer us the money at wholesale, we, we, we mark it up actually less than most of the retail branches for the same money, most times. So it actually usually costs a consumer less money to go through a mortgage broker because we are dealing with numerous lenders who compete all the time with each other. They give us the money at wholesale and then we can pass the savings along to the consumer as opposed to the bank who's got a retail location, brick and mortar, usually is more expensive, but not always. And there's, there's no hard and fast rule. So the bottom line is, is there is no hard and fast rule, but they're about the same. You go to a mortgage broker or a bank. So why use a mortgage broker, Eric, instead of a bank? Well, it just it sounds like uh, like built-in competition right there between That's one reason, yeah. various lenders. Yeah, so yep. you're going to get a better deal. The other reason is that we have access to more products. So if someone comes in to me and says, 
I'm in this particular situation. Their credit score is X. They're looking for a certain type of property. Not every bank will do that loan. Like right now, I'm doing a loan for a client who's buying a manufactured home, and the number one lenders, two lenders I work with, who are the most competitive, most time won't do won't do a manufactured home. Period. So you, as a as a mortgage broker, I know which lenders will do them. So I can help my client get a house they want. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing. So even though Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac set the rules for the types of loans they do, the lenders have the option at their discretion to make the rules more stringent for what they'll do. So you'd say, well, if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the ones that set the underwriting guidelines, why are they any different? Because each lender has a choice, and they do. The lenders that are the most competitive that we deal with, the wholesale lenders, have the strictest guidelines because they then can be more competitive because they have less less chance, less risk of having the loans go bad. The way I like to explain lenders sometimes is they're a little bit like an insurance company. So when you go to an insurance company, the lower your risk, the lower your cost. Same with lenders. The lower the risk, typically the lower the cost. Makes sense, doesn't it? So that's just one of the things I want to leave the last show is when people ask me that question, well, what's the difference between a mortgage broker and a bank? Did that help you at all, Eric, if you had asked the question? Yeah, and I've always felt that mortgage brokers were probably the way to go because, like I said, that built-in competition between different loan products that you just want to get going to a single institution like a bank. Yeah, Yeah. I always recommend that somebody comes in who's shopping that they should shop their current bank, Mm -hmm. shop any of the big banks that they know of that they would be comfortable talking to, and talk to a couple mortgage brokers. And then you're not looking for only the lowest cost. You're looking for, you know, who you think communicates well, who you think is going to be timely. Anything you buy in life is value. Right. But it's hard to measure value unless you have an idea what cost is. Yeah. So you, you want to look around different places. And you've often talked about how it's really the fees that yep. are what the difference is rather than the interest rate. Yeah, might as well do that one more time. So people routinely call me up and ask, what are your rates? And I say that's not, and I don't want to be offensive, but to help you as a consumer shopper things, that's not the appropriate question because my rates are the same as everybody else's because the, the rates are set by the bond investors who buy and sell Fannie and Freddie bonds. And, and this is, again, this is the general rule. There are exceptions, but those loans cost more. So when you're buying, getting a Fannie Freddie loan or FHA for that matter, everybody's getting them from the same source. And the lenders have nothing to do with the interest rate. They don't care what your interest rate is. They're just offering you interest rate that somebody else says is available, which is the bond investor. The lenders make their money off of the fee that they gather for delivering the loan on behalf of Fannie or Freddie or FHA or VA for that matter. That's how they make their money. There's one little wonky twist to that. Lenders also make money on collecting the payment after the loan closes. That's called the servicing premium or service and they can sell that servicing and make money on it there is some but but they, they make the, the the way they compete with each other is on their upfront fees and then if they make a lot of money off the servicing then their upfront fees can be lower but the bottom line is that it's all fee drip and consumers think that different rates and that's because the industry has done a i don't know if it's intentional but i have a sneaking suspicion it is done a really um a terrible job of educating consumers about how to shop for loans because everybody shops for rates and you just shouldn't do it. Nobody in the mortgage business shops for rates because we know it doesn't make sense. Every lender has four, every lender has three and a half, every lender has three. three. What's the point? 
What are you charging today for that? That's what we look at. We actually don't even call it rates. We call it the price. What's the price today? What are you, what's your pricing? What's your pricing? That's all we talk, pricing. We never, we never even talk about rates. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're interested in learning about how to do this in more detail, feel free to call me. I can walk you through it. I have tools that I've designed and developed for people to use when they're shopping for loans, explanations and writing. And my cell phone is 206-250-6545. And that's Greg McKim. By the way, I said I'd spend the first 20 minutes talking, wrapping up some things, and I'm, that's it. I'm done with that. I'm not going to talk about my home talk show anymore. That was the last you're ever going to hear about it. Maybe. But we still got half an hour. I know, but I'm talking about something else. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I scared you. <laughs> Dead airtime. Nothing's worse on radio. Well, I'll play the theme song for at least three minutes. <laughs> if that's, that's. But no, you've got lots more to talk about. So. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about Landmark. You know, you've heard me, the first time I got out of Landmark, last October, you saw me bouncing off the city, remember? Mm-hmm. I came in here and you had to, like, you were thinking about putting me in a straitjacket. I thought th- this guy's had several cups of coffee just before he walked in the studio. <laughs> yeah, I don't drink coffee, which is, you know, I don't drink coffee because I always thought, I don't want to be addicted to that stuff, right? Mm. And it's not good for you. And then because I'm super vain, it stains your teeth. Okay, well, so I <laughs> you just do have went, very wide teeth. Yeah, so well, see, good. that's because I don't drink coffee. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, so this, I think it was over the weekend, I was reading, I get the digital New York Times, big article about how pretty conclusive now that coffee is really healthy for you. People live longer who drink yeah. coffee, they have less diabetes, they have less. I'm like, oh, yeah. God. Helps your memory. Cetera, All kinds cetera. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, how can I get coffee, all the benefits of coffee in my body without having to stain my teeth? Uh-huh. <laughs> straw. I, yeah, straw. <laughs> IV, right? Coffee yeah, yeah. capsules. I don't know. Apparently, there's some sort of anti- I bet all those things are available now. Probably. Yeah. I bet they all are. If not, Starbucks is working on it. Yeah, somebody's got it. Right? <laughs> little little t- pods that, like, you know, that, that just dissolve in your mouth. I don't know. But anyways, I'm thinking about it. I think, hmm, maybe I should start drinking coffee. But I don't know if that'd be a good thing for me. Well, you could always try decaf. I could try decaf, but that's is that the okay? Is the cat no? The is the caffeine? It's all the other stuff in there, not the caffeine then. Yeah, but I think you know the caffeine has benefits has as it. well. But there is you know a good case to be made uh, that there's detrimental. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, too much caffeine, clearly. Caffeine, sure. And then you know, caffeine. Some people it really disrupts their sleep, even though they don't yeah. know it. They don't get to have what's called deep sleep. There's That's true. You got you got light. You got different types of sleep. REM, and then they got deep sleep. And apparently, if you drink caffeine, it disrupts your deep sleep. Yeah. So that's what I. That's why I didn't do it because I always thought I don't want my sleep disrupted. Well, you know, Michael, I mean, we're totally on a tangent here, but Michael Pollan just wrote a new book all about caffeine. That's, uh, I, it's an audio book, actually, yes, all about caffeine. I, I was yeah. listening to that on NPR, and that's and then I saw this other article, and I'm yeah. Oh, and man. I thought, well, this is really interesting because he talks about giving up coffee and yes. caffeine, uh, so he could you know see how he felt, and he got to the point where he didn't have the withdrawals or anything right. like that. I and I thought, okay, this is interesting, and he talked about all the benefits about like really a good deep sleep, uh, and how you know you really need that deep sleep. And then at the end, he said, I'm drinking coffee again. Yeah, that was the part so, that I, I, I know. <laughs> so it wasn't a case of, you know, withdrawals or anything uh, at that point when he got back to coffee. So there must be something to it. I'm a tea drinker myself. Ah, um, caffeinated? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. Yeah, so, and I see benefits to that. So, um, but it's also just tasty. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know? I love the taste. I love the smell of coffee. 
Mm. I just like to put it up in front of my nose and, mmm, that's good. <laughs> so I like it when other people are brewing it in the house. I just It's funny, if somebody comes over to my house, and they say, where's your coffee? I say, oh, I don't have any. They look at me like I'm from a, some, some different, <laughs> different galaxy or well, something. Well, you could just get some to sniff. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe actually, like a scented candle I or actually something. have bags of it in my house because I get it from, you know, people give it to sure. you. So you're not going to say, I don't want it, right? You don't want to be a jerk. And I just don't have a coffee maker mm. of any kind. So, yeah. All right, so I'm going to talk about Landmark a little bit. And um, what is it? What is Landmark? Okay, it's an organization. It's worldwide organization that's committed to having the world work for everyone and having no one left behind. What do you think of that statement? It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if that was rhetorical that was, or that was actually, actually, I was actually asking you that. Only when I hear, know when I hear the silence. And then you're like, oh, my God. Do I think, okay, this is actually directed at me. So yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. You know, it's, it's a pretty lofty comment. And right. it's, it's, some, it's one that we banty about at the organization. And um, I'm a, you, know, you don't become a member of the organization. I'm a, I'm a graduate of their first course, which is called the Landmark Forum. And I'll, got, I'll get into that in a little bit. But I'm a graduate of that course, and I'm a graduate of a couple other courses, and I'm, I'm taking ongoing courses. But that was one of the st- statements that really jumped out at me. We're committed to having a world that works for everyone and no one being left behind. Now, that's such a general kind of fuzzy. What does it mean? What does it mean to have a world that works and then not being left behind? I think if you're a listener right now and, and you can do it yourself, you can kind of think what it means to you. So I'm going to ask you, what, what, what would it mean to you, Eric, if, the, if for a world that works? Hmm. Well, it would mean, I think, boy, this almost sounds like, you know, some of the, uh, the, the rhetoric in the presidential election you know mm-hmm. because uh that's something i think that uh you know at least on one side of the equation uh people are really striving for is you know a world that works for everybody meaning you know that they would ha- have you know good a- education and good health care and stuff like that so that they wouldn't have those worries so they could develop themselves or businesses or whatever without these societal things dragging us down yeah and so you can in a way think about it in that well it depends on who you are Mm -hmm. what what's it mean to a a republican versus a democrat a liberal versus a you know a conservative Mm -hmm. independent what does a world that works mean it means something different to everybody right yeah so i i really wrestle with now here's one of the things i love about landmark They'll throw something out like this, and then they ask you to question it all the time. It's not a belief system. It's not a, 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 a set of rules that you follow or tenets that you abide by. It's constant questioning about how we as human beings can be more connected, more whole, complete, and self-expressed. And what we are about is who we are and what matters to us and the people we care about. And that's really what that comment or that, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, slogan? Slogan, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really about, because it makes you start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. What, what is it, a world that works? Okay, first thing that goes to my mind is, you know, people aren't starving and not getting diseases or not getting, you know, refugees. It, 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 there, and, and there's no war. Okay, those are huge things, but right. why not? 
Yeah, we can have aspirations at least. Yeah. You know, you go back a couple hundred years ago, and some of the things that we do today, a person would look at you like, yeah, you're out of your mind. Right. And we have accomplished those things. Yeah. So why not work or strive for or have an aspiration, as you said, towards a world where there isn't any war? where everybody has an opportunity to, to excel at who they want to be and what matters to them and to be connected and, and loved and loving with other people. And what's getting in the way of that? Well, I don't know. Let's, let's, disc- let's, let's get at it. What's getting in the way of that? Well, you can have a million theories about that. Now, the reason I have been so enthusiastic about Landmark is because this has been a journey and a search I've been on as long as I can remember. Ever since I can remember, from the smallest, the first memory I ever had, which is, why can't things be this way? Or could, why can't it be better? You know, how can we as humans function at a higher level, not, not only as individuals where we get out of our own way and you know, break our bad habits and get out of these funks that we all get in and, and be healthier, and, but how can we all operate at a, at, a, at a more productive, loving, constructive level? So I've been searching for this kind of thing ever since I remember. In fact, in college, I studied philosophy. And psychology, because I was fascinated by human behavior. And there's lots of different modalities that are very effective at all these things, and many wonderful, countless, countless organizations that are committed to the same, these same ideals. The list is endless, and I admire and respect and love these organizations. So why, does, why did Landmark resonate so strong with me, I guess would be the word, because I find that the tools that I'm learning there are the most effective I've ever encountered for me. I'm not saying they're the most effective for everybody, but for me, they just are the most effective tools. And I could go on a list of different tools I've tried. Because I struggled ever since I was a teenager with depression, off and on. I overcame it in, at about age 40 by lots of work without using any medications. Just what is it that's going on? What triggers these things? How do I prevent it from happening? When it starts to come up, what do I do to get out of it? And I don't know about you, but I've, I've encountered a lot of other people in my life who have struggled with depression. It's out there. In fact, the incidence of depression seems to be on the rise, especially amongst millennials. And suicide is on the rise. I don't know if you're aware of it, but suicide in our country is on the rise. It's been on a steady upward tick for decades. Something's wrong. So the tools that I've, that I've, um, I'm using now, I, I'm, I, you might want to even call them exercises, Eric, because that's what it's like. You learn something, but you exercise it. Because you don't just learn something and then, oh, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Be like going to the gym, you know, lifting weights one time and say, I don't need to do that again. So not only do you have to exercise the muscle, you have to break old patterns. And this is a, this is, this is a, um, an area of, of, of discussion that not, not only Landmark, but many, many different fields right now are studying. How are, how are um, what's the word I'm looking for? Our neurology or our brain is, gets patterns in it and how you can dislodge ineffective patterns. And there's things like neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, mm-hmm. uh, meditation. There's all kinds of techniques, but on a scientific level, they're finding that a lot of these techniques actually change the physiology of how your brain operates. Hmm. Now, I don't have anything to prove what I'm about to say, and I would like to research it further, but I happen to believe the people who told me. Yeah. 
And the peop some person at Landmark told me that there was a study done by MIT of all of the self-help, you know, human potential programs, and they found that Landmark, of all of them, has the most effective techniques for getting people unstuck and to be living more, th you know, thriving and fuller, healthier lives. That doesn't mean that it's the best. It just it's more effective based on polling its attendees. And this is the part that really interested me. And by the way, that's a third party that did that. But, you know, again, I, I'm not telling anybody that's true because I couldn't tell you right now it's true. Right. But the, the one that I thought was really interesting is that there was an MIT study that said people who've gone through landmark courses, their frontal cortex operates at a higher level than other people. Now, how do you measure that? Who are you measuring? So this is real wild stuff, right? Yeah. But the reason I'm moving or bringing this up isn't because I think that Landmark is more effective at producing things than anything else, but there's a lot of science to support that these types of approaches to human, the human um, condition actually change the neural brain waves, you, that things actually happen in your mind that can be observed that are positive. And you've probably heard of things like biofeedback and, you know, like meditation is known for changing your brain waves and, and helping you reach another state of consciousness and, and, and breaking old patterns. So um, I'm, one of the reasons I'm bringing this up, well, the primary reason I'm bringing this up right now, well, maybe there isn't a primary reason. So two reasons. Here we go. Two reasons I'm bringing this up. One is that down the road, I am seriously considering doing a show about these topics. In fact, next December, December of this year coming up, I'm taking a 14-day course to become a certified neurolinguistic programmer and a certified hypnotherapist. And um, that 14-day course is pretty intensive. It's down in Henderson, Nevada. In fact, I was scheduled to do it last December, but I put it off because I encountered Landmark. I'm also moving towards becoming much more versed in and becoming a coach in Landmark. It's something that I really am enthused about. And I have a friend that I work with at Legacy Group Capital, and this is his primary focus in life. He's also a, a, a loan originator like me, but what he's done is he's developed a training program to help people become more productive in things that matter to them in life, to get unstuck. Because, Eric, I don't know what your experience is in life because we don't know each other that well personally, but I find that most people have aspirations, dreams, things that really matter to them, but they find themselves constantly getting stuck and in the way of themselves to get those things to happen. I think that's a trap that yeah, you know, just a 99% part of, the human, of us fall into. Yeah, yeah. Part of the human condition. So Drew, the reason I am actually working at Legacy, Drew used to be an employee of mine, and we always had a great connection. And he recruited me over to Legacy, which I'm thrilled to be there. And uh, he also introduced me to Landmark because he's always been on the same path I am. You know, how, how can I be a I, I, you know, I don't like to use the word better because it, it, it's a comparison. Like, it's not a good or bad thing. It's not like you were not, you needed to be fixed in the first place. You're not broken. But just how can I, how can I live a richer, fuller life and also be able to make a difference in other people's lives? Those are two primary motivators for me. And you probably see that from having to get to know me last year. I mean, you can tell from my show that I was really dedicated to the idea of helping consumers understand mortgage and real estate to their advantage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I would like to continue doing it at some point, but I'm just going in a different direction. So just a couple of things I want to touch on with Landmark. 
So the organization's been around since the early 70s, founded by a man named Warner Earhart, who designed and used to um, conduct, along with other people, something called the Earhart Seminar Training, which is called EST. And then that transformed into Landmark, I think, in the early 90s. And if you're listening right now and you want to get a good feel for what this is all about, read this book. It's called Speaking Being. Again, Speaking Being. And it's a transcript of one of the Landmark Forum sessions that Warner did, I think, in 89. And there's two scholars who are commenting throughout the book about the content of the seminar of the S training. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. And they also, a lot, uh, there's a philosopher named Martin Heidegger who was born late 1800s, and I, I think he died in like around the 1970s or something. And a lot of the work that, that, that um, Warner Earhart developed in the early S days is, is um, similar to what Heidegger talks about, and that is the uniqueness of the human language and how our language creates our reality, which is very unique in the animal, well, it's far as we know, in the universe. Um, it's, so that book, if you're interested in learning more about this, I highly recommend that book, Speaking Being. And then I also recommend you just show up at one of our introductions, our, I guess I call it our, or one of the landmark introductions. They typically take place in the landmark center, which is down in Fremont next to that chocolate factory. Down, you know where that chocolate factory is in Fremont? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's right next door to it. Theo's. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh huh. So I walk by there and I smell that chocolate. Mm, I like chocolate. <laughs> There's my way Same. to get my caffeine is the chocolate. There you go. Yeah. So um, you can go down and you can you can contact me or you can contact the center and see when they're going to have an introduction. Typically, an introduction lasts three hours. And during an introduction, what they're going to somebody somebody who's trained to do this, not me, will walk you through what the forum, which is the first course, is all about. And during that introduction, the intent of the introduction is two things, to help you decide whether or not this is something you want to pursue, the forum, and for you to get something out of that three hours, something you can take tomorrow or today into your life and make a difference. Because what Landmark is really, really focused on in life is results. Not just talking about doing stuff, actually making things happen in your life. And of all the things I've gotten out of Landmark, my ability now to take action is the most, I'd say, the one that jumps to the top. I've benefited in some ways, like many, many ways. But I was the type of person that liked to do a lot of planning. I would write down to-do lists about to-do lists about that last to-do list. And I would plan and I would want to get everything just so and everything in order and everything right before I take action. And it was stifling. I was great at planning stuff. I'm really detail-oriented, and I can super thorough, but I sat on my hands a lot. And I watched people in different areas of life zoom past me because they would just go forward. Now, I would be, my type of personality is really good for, say, a, maybe science or, you know, a computer coder or something like that because I'm so detail-oriented. But even then, you need to take action. You need to take action in life. And I got out of that. I'm not stuck in not taking action. Why I take action right now almost to the point where sometimes I'm scaring myself. It's like, wow, here I go. The other thing that I think that I've gotten, well, the two things, I don't think, I know. Two things that come to mind right away. If somebody says, what'd you get out of this forum or in all the other courses? The ability to take action. The other is a, I have a greater ability 
to love unconditionally, something I've always aspired to, but I, I, there was always something in the way. And I just have this, it's, 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 boy, it's hard to put into words. You know, sometimes, you, Eric, you can say something, and other times you just come from it. Okay. Does that make sense? Experiencing something or just... That's, that's how you are. That's just who you are. Yeah. As opposed to wanting to be that way or thinking you'd be that way or trying to be that way. It's just who you are. Mm-hmm. Now, I still struggle with, you know, I, I still judge people. I still make, you know, I, I still have issues with how people are, but it's so diminished. And I've always been a loving person. Always been. I just, I love people. I love life. But I realized how much of my personality that I was completely unaware of was getting in the way of me really connecting with people on the level I wanted to. One of the things about Landmark is that they, that they discuss is that we, we help you find your blind spots. So think about life like this, Eric. You know what you know. You know you know how to speak the English language. You know you know how to do radio. Mm-hmm. You know what you don't know. Like I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here. You don't know how to speak Mandarin, and you don't know how to fly a, ha- a hang glider. Those are true assumptions. I got them, okay? Yeah. Just, just off, yeah. Those are the two things that I don't know. <laughs> you know but you know you don't know them. <laughs> That's right, okay. yes. There's this, there's this vast other area, though, where you don't know what you don't know. Hmm. Blind spots, if you will. Mm-hmm. And Landmark isn't about knowledge. It's about experiencing things in a way you haven't before. We use language to point you towards something so you'll, ah, I get it. Most of my education in all my life has been knowledge-based, getting information in, analyzing things, figuring things out. Nothing wrong with that. But Landmark is unique, and this is why it's been so effective for me, is they use language to point you towards something where you all of a sudden just get it. A great example of that would be when you learn how to ride a bike. So when you learn how to ride a bike, you have to learn to balance, right? Okay. You could have somebody explain balance to you until the end of time. You never get it. But all of a sudden, you just get it. I had several experiences like that when I was going through the Landmark Forum. I just all of a sudden, something just shifted, and I saw what you might call a blind spot that just came out to me and completely changed how I view and deal with life. And I, it, nobody could have explained it to me. I just all of a sudden got it because they were kept pointing at it with different ways that they did it. They, they would bring something up, and then, I'd, and then all of a sudden just whoop. I went, wow, really? How interesting. And, and people had the same experience about something that they had a blind spot about, not yeah. the blind spot I had. Is it something you can share or is it too personal? No, I can share it. Okay. So um, I've, had, I've had challenges all my life with low self-esteem. And thinking that I wasn't worth anything, yeah. which a lot of people share that. To Absolutely. A certain extent. And um, one of the things that Landmark talks about a lot is honoring your word. Because you, honoring your word is how you create your reality. So if you say you're going to do something, it doesn't mean you always keep your word because it's not possible. But if you honor your word, it shifts who you are as an individual. And I recognize that I didn't honor my word. Now, I could get real specific about that, but I would set things up for myself that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. goals that mattered to me, and I simply didn't honor them. It's not that I, again, there's a big distinction between honoring and keeping your word. 
but I didn't honor it. By the way, this took a, roughly a day for me to get this, and all of a sudden I just got it. And I realized one of the reasons, if not the paramount reason, that I had low self-esteem is because I didn't honor my own word. And now, boy, I'm telling you, I honor my word. Because it's not, it's not about being bad or right, good or, you know, right or wrong, bad or good. It's about when I, if I want to create something in life that's, that's powerful and meaningful, and I set myself out to do it, and I say, this is what I'm going to do, then I've just set out my word. When I don't honor it, I don't even attempt to do it, or I make up excuses not to do it, or I have I become a victim, or it's somebody else's somebody else caused. Then it's just I have no power over anything that I can create or do, and I feel bad about who I am. That's what struck me. I still have these same issues. I still have times when I, I say I'm going to work out, I don't go work out, but then I just regroup and I honor my word. Uh, the, in fact, the word integrity is used. Con- almost incessantly to the point you just want to scream at Landmark. And it's not the type of integrity, and it's tied directly into word, which is why I brought it up just now. So your integrity is your word, honoring your word. So I'll give you an example of that. Every time we have a Landmark class, everybody's expected to be there on time. I've, I've missed a couple. Why? Traffic. Okay. So when I get there, 15 minutes late or five minutes late or five seconds late, I'm expected, but not required, and I expect myself to restore integrity. What? Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll stand up in front of the other 30, 40 people in the class, in front of the microphone, and say, I need to restore integrity. I wasn't here on time. And you think, well, what, I wasn't here on time because you come up with all these reasons. Uh, uh, right. uh, 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 has nothing to do with it. And it's an amazing amazing exercise that I go through all the time with honoring my word and integrity. So let me back up for a second. Integrity in the dictionary, there's two word, there's two definitions primarily for it. One is honor is honesty and truthfulness. But there's another word for integrity, and that is structural intent, if you will, or structural, not structural, viability, like the integrity of a bridge. You've heard that in engineering terms, right? Sure. And that's the, that's the way that we use the, the word in landmark. So Integrity is when you don't honor your word, you are now out of integrity. What's the whole purpose of integrity? To have a world and a life that works. So if you can't show up or if you don't show up on time for a meeting, what, <laughs> you, that's one of, those, one of those things in life that really, if you think about it, with rare, rare exceptions, is a pretty easy thing to accomplish. There's all kinds of reasons why you're not there. But if you can't honor your word when it comes to something as simple as being on time, where, what does that say about the rest of your life and your intent and what you're committed to and trying to accomplish? So these are the types of exercises we do that are extraordinarily frustrating sometimes, really irritating, but they help me and they've helped me and other people around me I've seen move through stuff that they've been stuck in for years. They didn't really get why they were. And for me, it was just recognizing I don't honor my word. It has nothing to do with keeping my word. In fact, most of, I remember the first lie I ever told in my life. I remember exactly the circumstances, exactly why I told it, who I told it to, and how I confessed it later. I've prided my entire life on telling the truth about everything to the point of being absolutely insane about it. And so I've conflated, though, or collapsed, if you will, the idea of integrity when it comes to workability and 
being honest. And, and then I, what I do is I make myself out to be bad when I don't do things I say I'm going to do. And so this is one of the things that really, really struck with me is this, this, this idea all of a sudden I just, wow, that's why I don't feel good about who I am. I don't honor my word. And again, t- talking about it here in three or, four or five minutes, it just can't be done. But it was extraordinarily powerful. And when you were out of the room for a second, I saw that the biggest thing that I got out of, well, not the biggest, one of the top things I got out of Landmark is my ability now to take action. I was always just stuck planning until the cows came home, take action. So just real brief, the forum is a three-day course. It's, it's intense, man. You go in at 9, you get out at 10, 11 at night, three days in a row. And then you have a Tuesday wrap-up. And during that time, it's experiential. As I mentioned earlier, Eric, they keep pointing you and asking you questions and having you ask questions. And then all of a sudden, every, people just around you, all of a sudden, they'll kind of look and they'll go, wow, and that you get something. There's about 100, 150 people in there. There's a coach who leads it. And you're not required to do anything. You don't, you, don't have to, you, you don't have to participate if you want. You sit and watch. Participation involves two things. One would be, well, there's three things. One is following along. You keep flagging me when we have to go. Second is you can get up and share with people if you want to in front of a mic. And the second is, third is sharing with individuals. And the, the sharing process is very powerful, but there's no requirement you do it. But it's very powerful. So um, that's about it. And so Drew and I are going to probably, I'm not saying for sure, but we're probably going to team up and do an hour show about human development, all the different technologies. We're bringing guests about what it, how people can become more full, whole, and alive and make a difference in the world and connect with people they love in ways that they, they, would, they want, what matters to them, not to us. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm really interested in doing it, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm flubbing a little bit here because I'm and I'm not really trained to do all these things. That's why it's going to be a way us out. But I am learning to be a coach, and as I mentioned, I've got a lot of personal experience with this. And so, anyways, I want to thank all the people who've been listening to my show the last year. Again, if you want to reach me off air, talk about home loans, talk about buying or selling real estate, any of those things, feel free to give me a ring. My mobile is two zero six two five zero. 6545. My email is gregm at legacyg.com. And of course, be, feel free to call me about Landmark if you'd like to learn more about that. I highly encourage you to look into it. And um, best of luck to you and everything you do. Again, thank you very much for being part of my listening audience. Take care and goodbye. 